This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, August 14th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. It's definitely worth looking into whether leaders of the National Rifle Association were using the organization as a personal piggy bank, but how reasonable is it to demand that the organization itself cease to exist? Cato's Walter Olson details the cases now pending in New York. It, it seems like there's a couple of separate questions here. One, did a bunch of higher-ups in the National Rifle Association uh, make use of this uh, nonprofit organization uh, as a personal piggy bank? And the other question is, well, if that's true, should we then dissolve the organization? So uh, to that first question, what are your thoughts? Well, we do have two separate cases here, basically, that uh, one of which uh, is uh, in many ways a traditional charity enforcement case with traditional sorts of allegations of self-dealing and uh, shenanigans in the board. Uh, these are things that have happened at other organizations. Uh, nothing is that I can see is all that unusual about the idea that there are legal consequences and that one of the people who can make those legal consequences happen is the Attorney General of the State of New York, uh, where they were incorporated. So all that, uh, which might seem like 98% uh, of the case, uh, is kind of normal. Uh, then the other 2%, you can... It's like you know, de declaring war on a company on a country because of a trade dispute or something. Uh, it's that last two percent. Uh, by the way, uh, we don't just want all of the traditional charity remedies, such as requiring people to disgorge ill-gotten monies, requiring people not to work for nonprofits in New York for the next ten years or ever again. Uh, all of those sorts of sanctions, which would be traditional uh, responses to those things. It's by the way, we want uh, a court order dissolving the organ organization permanently. So it simply disappears. And uh, we will suggest where their money goes uh, when that happens. Now, it's that last 2% that, of course, causes 98% of the controversy, because for nearly everyone, uh, we would be happy to see the law run its course on all those traditional charity questions of whether the insiders mismanaged the money. Um, that's not a threat to anyone except the individuals who, it, it's argued, should not have been in those management positions. But as soon as you cross over to, uh, and by the way, we are uh, hoping to dissolve a major opposition political organization, uh, it's at that point that the venue changes from the United States of America, where the uh, you know, earlier type of uh, legal charges would be normal over into Ruritania or some former Soviet Republic or some place far south of the border uh, where uh, governments behave this way. You have seen uh, since this announcement was made last week, uh, you in particular have seen some agreement uh, with your claim that this is uh, at least uh, not proportional. Uh, when it comes to what has occurred uh, from some people who might not be inclined to agree with you otherwise? The reactions on the liberal side have been very interesting, and some of them have been predictable. Some of them have uh, just uh, registered excitement. Oh, boy, we get to destroy the NRA. This is what I always dreamed of. But fortunately, there are also more thoughtful uh, reactions based on people who have had a chance to think about uh, the, the means and ends issues here. And so, for example, Noah Feldman at Bloomberg Opinion, uh, Ruth Marcus at the Washington Post have both 
uh, written without at all wishing well to the NRA management because they are longtime critics of the NRA. I believe Ruth Marcus said, let me be clear, I loathe the National Rifle Association. (laughs) And, you know, lots of people do, not only because uh, you've got lots of gun controllers, but also uh, there are many other reasons why people uh, may believe that it's a badly run organization or that it doesn't represent the gun control uh, opposition or the Second Amendment cause very well. All that aside, though, uh, you have, in the case of those two and quite a few others, uh, the sort of classic traditional liberalism that says, but uh, you must always examine the proportionality. Uh, Even people who have uh, violated many laws uh, are not necessarily outlaws. Uh, And the um, government needs to consider the precedents that it's setting. It needs to consider um, how we live in a country with people and organizations that uh, oppose us on a very fundamental political level and yet have rights. Has this been tried before? Has has there any been anything like this where an organization that is you know an overtly political organization just by the nature of its organization, uh, someone tried to have it simply done away with in the United States? We can start with the fairly simple case of. Uh, charities, often smaller charities that have no particular um, uh, presence on the public scene, uh, those are sometimes dissolved. uh, And I think typically the circumstances when small corrupt charities are dissolved is that uh, there isn't a large universe of donors and members who have been giving money innocently, whose interests have to be considered. Uh, There isn't a large presence in uh, the the public sphere of of benefiting some particular cause which needs to be uh, considered. Typical would be, for example, a family foundation that was just being used as a corrupt cat's paw by that family. Uh, So some of the dissolutions like that are uh, not particularly controversial and not new. Uh, However, it's much more unusual uh, for their to be an attempt to dissolve uh, politically fraught uh, groups, whether membership associations or cause groups. And let me name a couple of areas that I think are uh, interesting in their parallels, even though they have some differences. Uh, With labor unions, for example, Uh, corruption has been a major, major problem with labor unions for many, many decades. And uh, so the government at various times has gone after the Teamsters uh, and a number of other major unions on the grounds that they had turned into, at least at the very top level, a criminal conspiracy and that they were just riddled with bad behavior and self-dealing and other things. But the government did not try to close down the Teamsters. And I'm not, I can't think offhand, although I know a lot of labor cases. I can't think offhand of any instance in which uh, uh, the government did try to actually shut down a union. Instead, the remedy was to try to find the honest members of the union, because there always were a lot of them that were not part of the corruption and were simply rank and file, uh, find ones who would step forward and take over the management, hold an election. And one of the things people sometimes forget is that the NRA is a membership organization that has elections. But as with the unions, it was hard. The the teams to, Reforming the Teamsters was no easy feat. And yet they felt that responsibility uh, rather than simply dissolve them to try to make them uh, an honest outfit. Now, completely different 
Uh, I mean, people have proposed different political organizations that have had either law-breaking problems or uh, money management problems and said, well, how about if they went after and then they would name it? You know, you and I can probably think of those organizations. Uh, But someone proposed one that is much less well-known to the public but fascinated me, which is the Highlander School, famous in civil rights history, had trained Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King and many other people had uh, attended its uh, educational sessions in uh, Tennessee, rural Tennessee, I believe. Uh, And a lot of authorities in Tennessee and throughout the South really, really hated them. Well, they caught them on something. They were selling beer when it was illegal to do so. And so according to my uh, the person who pointed out this example, Tennessee uh, tried to close them down. Uh, and of course, it was a pretext. Of course, uh, you know, had they not attracted so much fire for other reasons, some lesser sanction would have been dealt out, sufficient to keep them from selling beer ever again, uh, but not <laughs> just closing down a major civil rights organization. So uh, what is the Attorney General of New York? And we should clarify that you and I have recorded a podcast and you've written about this uh, pretty extensively. The Attorney General of New York is an extremely powerful uh, post. Uh, What authority is the AG of New York hanging her hat on here in order to request this sanction? The NRA has special ties to New York. Uh, I believe it made legally domicile the organization there because of its origins originally as a New York uh, gun club before it became national. And that, I think, is what she's hanging her hat on. I don't think she would be able to do this had they sensibly, some years ago, seen the handwriting on the wall and re-domiciled in Virginia or some other state where their actual headquarters is. Uh, they would have taken away that particular hook for her to hang her hat on. She's not using, so far as I know, some of the unusual powers of the New York Attorney General, like the Martin Act, which we've discussed in many other cases. But it is true that the New York Attorney General has a special position, even though New York is no longer the largest single state. Uh, the unusually wide powers granted by the state law, uh, the fact that uh, New York is still the nation's commercial center means that people defer to the New York Attorney General, and probably they are notable in charitable and nonprofit law for some of the same reasons. All that having been said, the New York Attorney General, and I, here I'm not just talking about Letitia James, the current one, but her predecessors, including Eric Schneiderman and Elliot Spitzer, uh, have made law not just because of their sweeping powers, but because of a certain ruthlessness and political awareness that they have brought to a whole series of controversies. And certainly um, high in my mind when I hear about this uh, was the attack on uh, ExxonMobil, which resulted in a very humiliating courtroom loss not that long ago, in which one of the sideshows, very important for the scholarly and intellectual community, was that they were going after uh, a wide range of free market organizations that at some point, sometimes many, many years ago, had taken money from ExxonMobil and saying that they had to open their files and they had to respond to subpoenas and all sorts of things that are on the face of it intimidating. Now, by and large, that was also beaten back. But uh, one of the things that came out during that whole episode is that attorneys general are not just sort of self-contained actors listening to their staff about what cases to bring. Uh, Sometimes they cooperate with attorneys general in other states. I don't know whether that has gone on in this case. But one of the things that very much happens and happened in that 
uh, energy case was that people go to attorneys general and shop cases to them. They say, here's the law I think you could rely on. Here's the remedy I think you could ask for. And one of the interesting things will be as uh, to the extent that public records requests can draw this out, and they fought tooth and nail on public records requests for the Exxon thing, so that only after judges had had to rule a number of times did it come out how that case was planned. But it would be very interesting to see um, who they consulted with as far as long-term critics of the uh, NRA, whether anyone came and shopped the case to them. And I don't know, maybe it was their own uh, invention from the start. Uh, because of the irregularity of the remedy requested, the, the question is naturally brought into play of, uh, does Letitia James, the current Attorney General of New York, bring uh, an angelically impartial uh, view to the question of whether to prosecute them? And of course, people soon did the relevant uh, search engine searches and found that she has uh, been telling the press for quite a while that she thinks that they're a terrorist organization, things that might possibly color her view about whether to treat them uh, the same way she would treat a medical charity or a uh, children's charity uh, that had gotten into similar trouble with self-dealing. Walter Olson is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.